0: (laughs) we are back baby we are back we are back you are looking live we get after it you know we jabber jaw we go tit for tat we have our little differences let's get fucking like a monkey and here we go hello and welcome to the Moose and runes podcast this episode 238 of the pod alongside matt rooney i am joe busso and I think we both need just a cigarette and an exhale here. Never been a smoker myself, but that weekend of football was sexual. I know it's Wednesday. I know we're moving. doesn't matter. We Cambridge. can still talk about it. still relevant. We will preview those. But that is a weekend of football that, for me, I will think about often. Um, from opening kick... To the final drive it was absolutely unbelievable we're going to dig into it all we're going to give you some locks matt's back is now against the wall because the muso picks have just been on the money as of late have a ridiculous percentage going right now on on our show have a ridiculous percentage going on here on the podcast as well we're going to give you more winners we're going to talk bears gm uh, ryan poles welcome to town fix everything thank you love you and with that i ask you matt rooney how are you you know, I, I Joe, you, you, mentioned there, I've, my parents
1: would be happy to hear never touched a cigarette in my life, but when you right. hear people say like, I need a cigarette after games like that, I, I feel like I felt that you kinda understand I understand, I understand it, yeah. what, I think I understand what people mean. And after, it's after like, that game, like that was the feeling like, Oh boy. That was like something it's like
0: Chandler. Like Chandler and Friends. Have you ever seen a gif of him like when he's trying to quit smoking and he has the cigarette when he's like hiding and he he says, Oh my God as he exhales? Like that's the it's like the oh my god. That, That 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 was that was what Eight hours of football, or whatever it was, twelve hours of football was on, on Sunday. After after that game, like stuff.
1: I had some friends, like, "Hey, you want to play Call of Duty?" Because you know it ended a little bit earlier because it was you know, the other five thirty. No, but I was like, I can't. <laughs> I, just, I need to. I need to. I need to put something mindless on TV, and I need to sit here and just unwind. And that I, what I honestly I did.
0: woke up. I honestly woke up the next morning like a little bit like a little bit messed up like a little bit like i had drank a lot but i had worked all day but i felt like i had i felt like i had a football hangover like my brain wasn't firing on all cylinders from the serotonin dump that was
1: i think that i think the thing about that game for me that made it like as epic and how we're talking about is is as great as that ending was is that Mm -hmm. for three ish quarters three and a half quarters it was a good football game. It was, you know, it was two good teams playing, you know, playing pretty good football. I don't think neither quarterback was spectacular, but, you know, they're, they're playing fine. It was a back and forth game. It's like, you know, 26-21, definitely lower scoring, I think, at that point than we all thought. And then that eight-minute Josh Allen or six-minute Josh Allen drive to go take the lead late happened. And it, they, just from that drive on, it just completely – it it, it – like was it was a that rocket was, ship it went from like this is a real. this is a very enjoyable football game for three for what 45 47 50 minutes or something like that mm-hmm. But I was I was like man like it's missing it, this isn't quite what I thought it was going to be I thought there were going to be a few more fireworks and then Josh Allen goes on that six minute drive that I thought was perfectly called by Brian Dable to try and you know milk as much clock as he could and little did we know that
0: they t- they're still going to have two more tries with the football. Now, I get what you're saying, but I'll disagree with you in the sense that it was perfect football for 60 minutes plus. No turnovers by either team. Both quarterbacks had reached the end zone through the air. Both quarterbacks had showed off amazing prowess with their legs. I mean, the first drive, Mahomes rushed for like 50-something, 40-something mm-hmm. yards. Yeah, that Four big run up the middle, right? Yeah. 33 yards up the middle, had a couple other runs, and scored the rushing touchdown to cap, cap off the drive. So for me, that from from the jump, that was Flawless football by both teams, and I will applaud the refs, too, for staying the hell out mm-hmm. of the way. They did a World great War job two. with that. Really, really good teams. I do want to go in chronological order here, so we'll get back to the Bills and the Chiefs and uh, that amazing We're going to start at the end.
1: We, we're going to go back to the beginning. And we're, we're gonna this gonna is a bit, a, yeah. a bit of a Tarantino. It's a bit of
0: a Tarantino. Sometimes we Tarantino here on the Most Moons podcast. That's so okay. we're going back to Bengals-Titans Saturday afternoon. Uh, Bengals come out with a nineteen sixteen win Titans lay an egg. They were expected to come off the bye, but a one seed gets trounced here. A one seed would fall later in the day that uh, made all of Chicago smile, mm-hmm. but uh, still specifically with the Bengals and the Titans. You know, it wasn't the craziest game out of Burrow. Really nice numbers still. 28 to 37, 348. Uh, no touchdowns and interception. Was sacked nine times. Uh, becomes the second quarterback in playoff history to be sacked eight-plus times and win a football game. I believe Donovan McNabb was the the first to do it and the only other. Um, and that was a record number of playoff sacks by any teams, by the Titans, uh, nine sacks. And you don't come away with the win. Derrick Henry did not look himself, still had a plate and five yeah. screws in his foot. So I don't think you could really expect him to look himself. Uh, what is it, De- Deontay Foreman, I believe? Yeah, Deontay, yeah, Deontay Foreman. Form. Dante, 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 thank you. Dante da- yeah I, the the the, the spellings
1: weird I don't know how to pronounce it I think it's Dante
0: Dante Foreman looked like the more effective runner between the two uh, AJ Brown goes for 142 so they did some things and some of the numbers looked right it's just they weren't punctuating drives and in the end of, at the end of the day the difference in this football game is drafting a kicker in the fifth round and Evan McPherson just taking just taking him and putting them on the table if you will uh, he's been doing that four. all year too dude Four for four, two from 50-plus, was four for four in the wild card round. He's eight of eight. They sold out of his jersey the day after the game. Like He's the MVP, not Joe Burrow to me because of what he was able to do. But Cincinnati, way ahead of schedule in everybody's eyes. I, I think they believe that you, like throughout the season and even in the rookie season, but then you kind of questioned it when he hurt his knee. He was like, Burrow's going to take this team somewhere. I don't think we knew where. And I don't think anyone would have said AFC Championship game this year, but that's where they find themselves. Your reaction to this game was what, Matt?
1: You know, it's it's we joked all the way and we talked about it in the draft that you know it's great if you draft Jamar Chase, but you know you're not going to be able to keep Joe Burrow standing upright with without you know a tackle or like Penesu or whatever. It's weird because this team still needs like desperately an like a, not just one offensive line to kind of rebuild that offensive line, and it showed in this game but they mm-hmm. still won and they still got as far as they did because they have Jamar Chase and that talent, like that that outlet just saves them so many times. It, it, it's, it's just a, been a fascinating, like I was all in on them getting an offensive line, but they don't, they don't get here as bad as they are as bad as their offensive line is up front without Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow. And if they can add some pieces in the drag, that's got to mm-hmm. be their focus this offseason, draft free agency. Like, their defense is fine. Probably can add a piece or two there. Talent-wise, on the offensive end, they don't really need to add anything. If you go add two impact offensive linemen this uh, this summer, like they're a really good football team. Uh, and now, on the other side, you said Derrick Henry not not necessarily healthy. I didn't realize he had the plate in his foot until closer to game time. I don't know how yeah. Dante Foreman doesn't get more carries. Like it, it's not not yeah. that Derrick Henry shouldn't ha- shouldn't have had you know twelve to fifteen type carries, but Given Foreman only four carries, he, I, he had sixty six yards. I know one of those was a forty five yard run, but like he should have gotten the ball a little bit more. He should have spelled Henry Henry uh, just you know a little bit more.
0: Um, I, I don't want to get too deep or philosophical here, but for me this this is a Bengals team, and specifically as you said, Burrow and Chase that connection. Um, you know, a lot of times. Youth, or at least uh, younger players, or whatever your field may be, if you're a younger broadcaster, if you're a younger person in your office, you're sort of told what you can be at certain points. And these are two guys who don't give a damn about mm-hmm. what the outside says they can be. In their minds and the way that they perform, they're dictating who they are Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. They look like veterans. They don't care that they only have 30 games under their belt in the case of Joe Burrow or 25 games under his belt and Jamar Chase, uh, 18 games under his belt. These are two guys who are completely in living the complete belief of their abilities. And that's allowed them to just go out there and be not two of the best young players, not two. Not the best rookie, not two of the best this or that. Two of the best players and possibly the most potent quarterback wide receiver duo in the game right now. Mm-hmm. It's astounding what they've been able to accomplish this year. It's astounding how quickly they've come up to pace. But it's because they are two of the – they teeter on that line of confidence and cocky in the perfect way. And it's born crazy fruit here and they find themselves – in an AFC title game against a team that's hosted now four straight.
1: You you see the way that – I'll I'll say three of the four offenses are built because the 49ers are kind of an outlier because they're so well coached, their offensive line Mm -hmm. is so good, and they run the football so well. But you see the way three of these four teams are built that are in championship weekend. They obviously have the quarterback, and then they go out and surround the quarterback with as many weapons as they can. And then when another good weapon pops up to try and go help them out, they try and add that guy too. You can figure you, you can figure things out on the offensive line. It's easier to kind of piecemeal that together, like we've seen with the Bengals, and get someplace. Obviously, theirs isn't quite as good, and they might struggle this week against the Chiefs' front four. That's that's pretty darn good. But like, it's gotten them this far by getting your quarterback and doing whatever you can to help out your quarterback in terms of weapons. And it's it's hard not to see like that. That's what there, there's a path there now for the Bears to kind of try and follow this offseason. We've we've seen. That's kind of how you build these te- build teams in today's NFL you ha- you get the quarterback, you get the weapons, and then you kind of figure out your offensive line and you try and figure out a, a defensive line to go get the
0: passer first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the women. that seems scar- like a line scar somewhere there you go scarface Jesus Matt Jesus John, I'm sorry. <sighs>
1: All right. Well, I thought uh, the only knowing you, I thought it was going to be like a rap song. You
0: know, no, you threw me off. And, and it has been referenced in rap songs before, okay. but the, the source material there is Scarface. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Do you have anything else to go here on Bengals and Titans? Not to say that it wasn't an amazing finish. And if that would have been the best game of the weekend with a game winner from 52, like, yeah, awesome. Great game. Yeah. Uh, it could have been, but it literally only got better from there.
1: Yeah, I, I just—if you're Tennessee, what are you doing with Ryan Tannehill this offseason? Are you trying to replace that? Or are you just kind of saying like, I am, "We're going to hope we luck into a couple good games, we luck into some no, good games and roll with them."
0: Because okay, if you want to, if you want to win with Ryan Tannehill, I'd say your play calling, your game script, your personnel needs to look more, more of that of the 49ers because yeah. Like you said, that's a team that's really well coached, and they know what they do well, and they lean on that. It's no disrespect to Jimmy G. I believe Jimmy G is a far better quarterback than Ryan Tannehill, but I'm talking about playing with a non-elite, non-top-eight, non-top-five quarterback and getting your way in a conference championship weekend. You need to do certain things to do that. You need to have a, a, a... An all-pro pass rush. You need to have a defense that takes the ball away. You need to have an effective run game, which Tennessee does already have. Didn't really have as much here uh, in the divisional round. You need to have a great coach, which I do believe they have. But I am making those calls. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to pivot towards a more 49ers type approach. I'm trying to get an elite quarterback in Tennessee. I have. I'm trying to. You're not drafting them. You know, no, you're good. not, you're not drafting them, but there's so many moving parts right now, and there's going to be so many guys wearing different uniforms. I don't know if you're going to be able to get your hands on one of those elite guys. Now, the obvious name that comes up there is um, is Aaron Rodgers, and everybody's going to want a piece of him, and everybody's mm-hmm. going to think they have a chance to get him. But um, outside of Rodgers, maybe Russell Wilson. Like, like who takes you? Who who realistically can you get in that building that takes you to a level that Ryan Tannehill's not already? Like, I respect Ryan Tannehill for what he's been able to accomplish. I just don't think you win a Super Bowl with Ryan Tannehill.
1: No, I like I I think I think he's gotten you kind of as far as he can, and that was a couple years ago when he got you to the AFC championship game and then you went to Kansas City and he couldn't keep up because he's Ryan Tannehill. you um, you mentioned the couple names there. I Tennessee should be a front runner for any elite quarterback this that, that's open this offseason, whether it's Rogers, whether it's Russell Wilson, Hell, even a step below that you mentioned Jimmy G. If the 49ers decide that it's time to make it Trey Lance's show and are looking to move him because they can probably get some pretty darn good pick capital back from him. You said he's better than Ryan Tannehill. I agree. Maybe give them a call, but like this team is really, really good and really, really close. You just have a quarterback that's not going to be able to get you there. And it, you have to realize that and pull the trigger and try something new before this core is you know, outdated and done because that happens faster in the NFL than any other league.
0: And frankly, I mean, we haven't mentioned it, and two of them were tipped, but three interceptions is unacceptable. Yeah, Three interceptions is unacceptable in September, let alone in January. Mm-hmm. So um, things like that cannot happen. Uh, let's keep this thing rolling to the 49ers and the Packers. Jimmy G and company go into the frozen tundra. They play the exact game script they had to to beat that team. Thirteen to ten. They score all of their points in the second half. It's seven nothing at halftime. Knockdown drag out, a layup of an under for those that tailed Moose's picks. Mm-hmm. Um But in the end, Aaron Rodgers, the era could be over. The game is over. Was unable to get that offense going outside of what looked like was going to be the easy button. They drive right down the field in the first drive of the game, tuck one in the end zone, and it's looking like this is going to be the way the game goes. They don't get to the end zone for the rest of the game. Uh, They get a field goal in the fourth. Robbie Gold uh, sending Chicago home happy here. Our franchise leader in points, uh, banging a game winner. It just like it had it had everything you could have wanted. You know, I called this a Bears game. I said Jimmy Garoppolo taking on the Packers at Lambeau. This is mm-hmm. the third Bears-Packers matchup of the year, and it's the best chance we have to win one. And it was exactly that. Uh, the kid from Arlington Heights comes through, uh, manages the game, if you want to call it that. But it, it was it was simply outstanding to watch. It happened the way that it did with the snow raining down. I mean, not enough can be said about Debo Samuel and what he brings to that team. It wasn't his best numbers game of the year, but did what he needed to do in the second half. Garoppolo, 11 of 19, 131, no touchdowns. Rodgers, they, they keep him off the board in terms of a passing touchdown, but it was... it. It played out exactly the way I saw it playing out if San Francisco was going to win the game. Mm -hmm. Low scoring, knockdown drag out, San Francisco affects the pocket. Shout out to my guy, Eric Armstead, came up with two big sacks. Um, He's a guy who spent a lot of time with in Sacramento. He's a Sacramento area guy, did a lot in the community and just a sweetheart of a monster. And he has elevated his game after getting paid last offseason and to watch him in the biggest moment lay on top of Aaron Rodgers for the entirety of that game made me even happier. So uh, I, I can't, like, I, I look at this box score, I talk about this game with a smile on my face because the obvious thing that, mm-hmm. you know, we love it when Green Bay falls short. Um, and we can go long-term here, we can go road ahead. But in terms of the 60 minutes of football here, Matt, what stood out to you?
1: Honestly, it, Aaron Rodgers lost the Packers this football game. I, I, I I, so. I, I'm going so I'm going. The 40. Don't get me wrong. I, this is not taking anything away from the 49ers. They played a very good football game, at least defensively and kind of running the football. That they executed what they needed to. They made plays on special teams, like they made the big plays when they had to because those opportunities were afforded to them. But. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, after that first drive, was I think it was like a 70-yard drive. I think he passed for about 50 of those, 70-something around there. Finished the game with 225 yards. I get you're in the elements. I get you're in the snow. But you're Aaron Rodgers. You want to talk about having the home field advantage in Green Bay. Having only 175 or whatever passing yards the rest of the way, I don't think is acceptable for, for being the league MVP and all. And being as good as you are. I don't think that's acceptable. You look at his uh, district target distribution. I'm looking at it right now in the box score. Aaron Jones, 10 targets. Devontae Adams, 11. The rest of the team had six combined targets the rest of the way on 29 attempts. Like, yeah, he just the the 49ers said, we're not letting Devontae Adams beat us deep. They didn't. He had nine receptions for 90 yards. uh, Longest was only 25. So they didn't let him beat, beat them over the top. And Aaron Rodgers, instead of countering and trying to find somebody else, look elsewhere, he either looked for Devontae Adams, he checked, Aaron, checked down to Aaron Jones, and the 49ers took both of those things away. Like, it's, it was mind-boggling that he just kind of refused to – you might not trust your receivers, Alan Lazard, Equinemius St. Brown, whatever – as much as you do Devontae Adams but at some time you need to adjust because if they're if they're doing this you need to find Lazard so they have to pay attention to him Then that's going to open up Devontae Adams it was just Aaron Rodgers being stubborn and saying I'm going to do this my way and it didn't work
0: yeah um, I just think that it also might have been the culmination of everything this season. I, it, you know, he can say as much as he wants that he wasn't distracted by everything going on off the field. Um, all, all of the flack that he took for some of his comments with being immunized and then kind of doubling mm-hmm. down week after week on the Pat McAfee show. And I'm not being critical of him or his comments. But at a certain point, the football game becomes second fiddle in your mind whether or not you want it to be or not, Aaron Rodgers dealt with a lot this season from the start of the season, the turmoil of, was he going to come to camp? Was he going to force his way out into Uh the vaccination stuff? Like it was anything but a normal season for Aaron Rodgers. I I listened to the Pat McAfee show yesterday where Rodgers was on for an hour. Said some really illuminating stuff. Um, He, He didn't at any point say that that was a distraction to the actual on-field production because I'll be damned if he doesn't win another MVP award this year. You know, he played fantastic throughout the year, but everything he said, whether it was a football question, whether it was a COVID question, whether it was a future question, it all kind of came back to the distraction in the way that he was answering these questions. I think that Aaron Rodgers was extremely distracted throughout the season, and I think that's the number one reason he's leaving Green Bay. Not because of Brian Goodencoos. Not because they're going to franchise tag Devontae Adams. Not because David Bakhtiari didn't play throughout the season. Not because it's freezing cold and a shit place to live. Because he just needs a fresh start. It was It was a trying year for Aaron Rodgers. And I'm not saying we need to sit here and sympathize or empathize or feel for the guy, but it was what it was, and I think it ended in a very appropriate fashion with him underperforming against a team that he couldn't beat, that he's 0-4 mm-hmm. against in the playoffs, against a quarterback that he's clearly better than. And this is the way it goes down. I think that I think that it's too far gone. And to, to sort of project this conversation forward to Aaron Rodgers' future, it's not just wishful thinking anymore. I don't see him playing in Green Bay next year. And he said he's going to make his decision sooner rather than later. He told Pat he knows other people's lives are affected by this, and the number one decision that he has his eyes on in terms of making his own is what the Packers want to do with Devontae Adams. He's essentially saying, that's my guy, give him his contract, and then we'll talk. That's yes, am sound- going put a contract in front of him, mm-hmm. and then we'll talk. And I respect the hell out of that. He's <laughs> leveraging his skill. He's leveraging his value and worth to the team to take care of his guy. And that's I, I can respect the hell out of that, whether that's my friend or my enemy. And Aaron Rodgers, it seems like, is doing that. Now, if Devontae Adams gets the long-term contract that he wants, does that mean that Rodgers stays? I think the percentage obviously goes, goes through up. the roof. But if they try and tag DeVonte, if they try and give Devontae some BS deal, he's gone too. So I, I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of dominoes that need to fall and I'm not sure which one goes first. But I have never felt stronger that Aaron Rodgers isn't going to be a Green Bay Packer than I did after listening to what he said on the Pat McAfee show uh, a day ago. I guess not to get too deep into
1: like their philosophy here or what the Green Bay Packers should do going forward like do you want to be hamstrung into those two for the next three years? If it's going to pretty much cripple your ability to do just about any, like not just about anything else, but they're already kind of, as we've heard in cap hell, I think next to the saints there, they have the worst salary cap situation in football going into this off season. Mm-hmm. Devonte Adams at the very least, if you, if you tag him, that's going to be 20 million. So that's, I believe a 5 million increase there. Rogers is obviously making a lot of money on the books. Like, do you want to run it back one more time with just those two and hope that you find magic Yeah, because if, in
0: a row? Because if I'm because if I'm Brian Guttenkust, I, I look at what Aaron Rodgers is still capable of, and he's played at an MVP level now for two straight years, and he has the hunger of someone who still wants another championship, and he showed that with the current team that he had this year, he'll make Alan Lazard look like a number two. he He'll make uh, He'll make some guys look better than they are. Uh, you know, the running game wasn't necessarily as productive as I think it was in years past. Maybe you get to that, get Aaron Jones uh, going a little bit more. of St. Brown took a step forward. So, yes, they're in cap hell. But if Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams want to be on my team, we'll live in cap hell. We will embrace mm. the role of the devil, and we will be in the NFC Championship game, or the, at least the divisional round, again next season. We will backpedal into a division title. We will do all the things that Aaron Rodgers affords you to do. Um, Flip side of that coin is we drafted a quarterback, and if there's any time to get him into the starting role, that time is now. We wipe the slate clean. We tear it down to the studs. We try and rebuild it in two years' time and try and be the Packers two years from now with the quarterback that we believed in two years ago, and maybe we don't believe in as much anymore, but, hey, he's our guy, and we got to see what we got here. Um, so there's there's two very clear paths to go here, and one of it is one of them is blowing it down to the studs and reinventing who the Packers are. The other is playing with a really thin top-heavy offense and hoping we can, you know, be three points, four points better in the divisional round, uh-huh. win an NFC title game, and give ourselves a chance in the Super Bowl. So uh, there's some work to be done, and it all relies on 12 and what he wants to do. Um, Matt LaFleur said it We want Aaron Rodgers here We want him to be our quarterback He makes us who we are And if they aren't that Well they're going to have to figure out Who the hell they are beyond him
1: yeah, I think of all people Matt LaFleur wants to keep Aaron Rodgers because that record that oh, yeah. coaching record wins, is what it is. 15 wins of Aaron Rodgers. I am interested to see. I'd want Aaron Rodgers around. I, I'm interested to see what that coaching record looks like if Aaron Rodgers' leaves. But I, I, I guess that's I'd want a, him a around until I sign 100%. my next contract. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, like you said, two two very distinct paths. I think I saw Rodgers says he today he will be decided by the franchise tag deadline, which feeds even more into your, you know, belief there of it relies on what they want to do with Devontae Adams. If Devonte Adams gets tagged or he's not taken care of, he's probably gone. And if he signs a big deal, then they'll probably talk. Yeah, uh,
0: we got to keep things rolling here to Sunday's action. And we thought Saturday was good. Yeah, we were like, oh, well, this is this Sunday's going to stink comparatively. Well, spoiler alert, it didn't. Starting off with the early game between the Rams and the Bucks, looked like it was going to be a lone stinker of the week with the Bucks leading 20 to, or excuse me, the Rams leading 20 to 3 at the half. Uh, Then they come out, stop the Bucks and go right down and score again 27 to 3. Now, the only thing that made you think that it wasn't over is because that scoreboard was so similar to the 28 to 3. Mm-hmm. And we know Tom has that in his bag. Well, Tom again had that in his bag, and everything bounced the Buccaneers' way in the second half. Uh, a couple fumbles uh, by uh, Cam Akers, uh, including Cup. a late one. Uh, Cooper Cup put one on the ground as well, uh, and just like that, we were looking at a twenty-seven twenty-seven ball game with time expiring. They come all the way back. Tom does it again. It looks like it's going to be overtime, and L.A. couldn't stop the bleeding. They had no answer. And Bruce Arians admits to it in the the postgame press conference, brings the all-out blitz, leaves zero coverage in the back end. Not only does he leave zero coverage in the back end, one-on-one across the board, he's got a safety-covering Cooper Cup. And that's so problematic because Cooper Cup gets 15 free yards before the defender can even catch him. And with that, he gives one little wiggle. He's behind the defense. Matt Stafford throws one up top the cup. Bing, bang, boom. Matt gave field goal. See you, Tampa. It was coaching failure to me. And and Bruce Arians stood there and stood behind his decision. And I guess I can respect that, but it was the wrong decision. He also said that he called an all-out blitz and that some guys didn't blitz. He was looking for pressure. He was essentially saying, we need to get to Matt Ryan. We need to get to Matt Met uh, Stafford here, mm-hmm. or we lose the game, which I don't like that because you could play a standard cover two, keep everything in front of you. I'm not saying play a prevent defense and allow them in a field goal range, but it was mind boggling the call there to bring all out pressure and leave one on one across the board with receivers like Odell, Van Jefferson, Tyler mm-hmm. Higby, and ultimately Cooper Cup left in one on one matchups. It made no sense. I get it if you want to bring a fifth rusher. Bring a linebacker. you got to have someone with their hands on or at least standing in front of Cooper Cup on the line. Cooper Cup was allowed 15 free yards before he even had to think about a defender. You know what happens when you give a wide receiver who went for almost 2,000 yards this season and who should be the most valuable player in the league 15 uh, free yards? He beats you over the top. Like, it was was so mind-boggling, and I know there were... um, a hundred plays in that game that could have gone one way or the other. That was the one that decided the game.
1: Yeah. Like I, I get that Bruce Arians philosophy has always been, you know, aggressive, go get it done now and all that kind of stuff. But like you, if you play for just overtime and don't get beat over the top there, you have Tom Brady going up against Matt Stafford in overtime. And I know it, like we will, we'll get to it in the next game that we already kind of started with. And like, you're relying on a coin flip, but at the, at the end, at the end of the day, like give yourself another quarter of Tom Brady versus Matt Stafford. And that's kind mm-hmm. of what it came down to. Now, obviously that's the play that decided the game, but like throughout that second half and uh, I, I'll, throughout the game, throughout the game, the offensive line missed, missed Tristan worse. Ryan Jensen, you could tell wasn't totally 100%. Yeah, he, I don't he, remember he, who the right tackle was, but you can tell he was, he wasn't good. And like we talked about last week, he wasn't even fully healthy. That Mills. game reminded something me Mills, something like that. doesn't matter. Jedrick, the league next
0: year. No, I'm thinking of Jedrick Wills. That but that game
1: remind like it reminded me of the Super Bowl last year where the Chiefs were without their two tackles. And we were just kind of like, mm-hmm. well, you know, they're the more talented team. But, you know, you know, Tampa's got that pass rush. Can they can they stand up? No, they couldn't. And that's exactly yep. what happened to Tampa's offensive line here. Von Miller credit to him. I don't know where that version of Von Miller came from, but that looked like you know twenty sixteen Super Bowl champion Von Miller.
0: Uh, I'll stop you there. Go ahead. I'll stop you there because I thought the same thing, and then I looked at the numbers. Last six <laughs> weeks have been the most productive six weeks of Von Miller's career in terms of This year, Von Miller. He's been not not. I wouldn't even say this year, but like the last month a. and L. a half. La Von Miller. La La Vani. La Vani and La OBJ, they were kind of like head scratcher, a uh, little bit Hollywood. You're bringing in mm-hmm. two guys who might be over the hill. They both paid for their, they both yep. paid their way already. Like they, the production that those two guys have given on both sides of the ball has been awesome. Go ahead, sorry,
1: but no, but that, that that's just kind of what I'm getting at. Like the the Bucks' offensive line just could not protect for Tom, and that like that was the ball game. It, it's a, it's miraculous they got close. It's miraculous that La gave them as many chances as they did, but the. the with how many chances they got, honestly, mm-hmm. Tampa should have won that game in regulation. Like There were multiple turnovers in that second half that Tampa did nothing with. Like They would go and just give the ball right back, and then they get lucky with a Brandon Allen snap over the head, stuff like that. Like They got m- more opportunities than they cashed in on, and that's because L.A.'s defensive line and their offensive line was so incredibly mismatched throughout the entirety of that football game.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's where um, San Francisco is really going to have their hands full is up front if they can control the trenches. I think San Francisco wins that football game. Uh, Trent we'll Williams' health is, is, might be the game. <laughs> yes, we'll get to those matchups here in a little bit. But, um, you know, we we projected the Rodgers situation forward. I'd be remiss if we didn't do the same with Tom here. Tom. It's really just projection. We have no information, but... Uh, all, When we talked this time last week, this wasn't even a thought, like nobody was really talking about it. And then some news leaks that there's some turmoil in the locker room, not Tom related, but that things are kind of coming apart a little bit. Um, Bruce Arians, it's been evident, was fine for, you know, pushing the player. A.B. has his thing. You know, Tom is a million years old and wants to live his life. Um, I guess I'll ask it this way, Matt. Is Tom Brady next year playing football, not playing football, or playing football somewhere else outside of Tampa Bay?
1: I think it's either playing or playing elsewhere. Um, I just I get that after this game, especially one where he got—I I know they had a chance to win there at the end—but he got his ass kicked. He was he was mm-hmm. put on the ground so many times. He was hit a bunch. You know, the, like, like you said, the team wasn't fully healthy, and there was some turmoil in the locker room and all that. The A B like, drama towards the end, like. It was a, it was a long season for the Buccaneers. and as good as they were at times, like they had their stretches, it was a long, stressful season for them. I, I understand why going into that game after the game, you know, he's contemplating retirement. I also think we both kind of know Tom Brady, the competitor. I don't think Tom Brady, the competitor, is going out in a game that he got his ass kicked, not, not obviously on the scoreboard, but physically got kind of his ass kicked, lost at home. Once he sees those two teams in the NFC Championship, sees those two those two teams in the Super Bowl, I just I think once we get a month or two away from this, he's he's back. Now whether or not that's with Tampa, that's a good question. I would bet that he is still with Tampa, just because still one year left on that deal. Starting over for one more year might be tough. Uh, moving somewhere maybe just for one more year might be tough. Who knows? I still think that's a good spot for him. Um, so if I had to bet, I would bet he's playing with Tampa. But I just. We're we're on the we're obviously on limited time with Tom, but I just I don't see him going out
0: like that in a division in, in a divisional loss. Yeah but like how how do you see him going out? Like last year last year was his opportunity to ride off into the sunset. It was. It gets in it gets increasingly harder to win a Super Bowl as he gets older. Not to say that his talents are diminished because right behind Aaron Rodgers and that MVP voting is going to be Tom Brady. He was spectacular this season. His passing numbers were some of the best he's seen in his career. He can still do it. When asked post game how he feels after another you know, full campaign, an extra week of regular season. He stood there and looked as good as ever and said, I feel fantastic. So it's not a matter of him being able to accomplish it physically. It's a matter of him wanting to commit to everything that's required to mm-hmm. get there, because it's not this is not just Tom Brady does not wake up in the morning and and just piss excellence to steal a line from uh, it's a team of against. all people. But th- that no it's, I, know, I, know, does, I know If he does, it's because he worked all day yesterday to make sure he wakes up and Pisses excellence. He is the ultimate competitor. He prepares like nobody else. And I think what we don't see is what's starting to wear at him and weigh on him. and all that goes into being ready on Sunday, physically, mentally, emotionally, the sacrifices he has to make for himself, for his family, They don't want to live in Tampa Bay. That that family's worth a billion dollars. You're telling me they want to live in some outdated home in Tampa Bay? Get out of here. It's time for us to raise our kids in Greenwich. And it's time for us to vacation in Italy. And it's time for us to go see your family in Brazil. There's there's so much life to be lived for the Brady's. And those things are right on the other side of the few words that my football career has come to a close and he's getting closer and closer to that. I do believe that. Do I believe that he plays football next season? Yes. Do I think it's in Tampa Bay? I'm not sure. It depends. I think a lot of high level conversations need to be had there in terms of Bruce Arians, his coaching style, who's going to be the offensive coordinator, who's going to be in my helmet calling plays. Cause it sounds like left, has got already John. one foot into Jacksonville. Um, a lot of moving parts out there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised by any outcome because it seems like he's a man at peace he's accomplished everything he needs to accomplish I know he wants to be the oldest quarterback to ever win a Super Bowl but th- that's a fool's errand you know and I, and I don't think Tom Brady is any fool I, I, I'm not, I won't be surprised by any outcome in terms of Tom Brady's future
1: yeah I would not be surprised if he called it quits I just my gut feeling tells me that's if it's a I, I, like Tom Brady can go out on a loss, I think that he'd be okay with that. I just don't think that loss is going to sit too well with him in a month or in a month or so. Yeah. When he looks back on it, no outcome would totally surprise me, but I, I do think he is back, and I I would just say the the odds would favor him still being in Tampa. But there are going to be other options for him. It's, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up. Honestly, the team we just talked about, Tennessee, would be a great fit for him with his head coach with the with the head coach over there that he obviously knows well, the weapons, the run game, the offensive line, but. He,
0: he's gonna have his options of just about anywhere he wants to play if that's the route he chooses. You know, selfishly, selfishly I'm just looking for him to retire to Greenwich so I can like bump into him getting coffee. That's that's yeah. really all I'm looking for here. Yeah, I don't think he goes and gets his own coffee. I'm gonna see him I'm gonna see him in downtown Greenwich. We're gonna dap up like old buddies and be like, come on the pod, Tom. And it'll be like oh. I love the pod. And then we hug. I think that's how that's how I pictured
1: it in my head. Tom Brady's definite moose and runes listener. So if you're listening to this, Tom, you have an you have an open invite. Come on the pod. Come on. The you pod. actually would no, uh, just perfect fit for him if they did decide to move on. For it would be if he did decide to move on. Him in San Francisco with with the yeah, Samuel in like, that run game, that offensive line. If if you can make it work, beautiful. Him going I, I home, like, riding off from like the fairy, sunset. I like one fairy year tales there.
0: Too. I like fairy tales too. And, and Mike Florio was preaching that. And it's like, Oh, everybody goes home. Tom goes to San Francisco. Jimmy goes to Chicago. It's like, well, no, you're we're talking good about two teams. You're talking about two teams that aren't in the market for a quarterback right now. San Francisco's problem is that they have two of them. Their problem is that they spent three first round picks on a guy that might stink and that the quarterback that they want to run out of town might take them to the Super Bowl on Sunday. They got other issues going right now. I, I don't think that. Now, if Tom Brady says, I want to come home, I think, well, take- okay, you know, we'll, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, find, we'll get a second round pick back for Trey Lance from somebody, get him out of the building, Tom and Jimmy reunite and see if Jimmy wants to be Tom's backup again. I don't know. It'd be, it, there'd be a lot of crap to figure out if Tom Brady. Oh no, you trade Jimmy and then you
1: let Trey Lance learn under Tom Brady
0: for a year. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I don't know. I just don't see it, but
1: uh, I, I don't. I, I wouldn't say it's likely. I'm
0: just. Uh, it would be.
1: It would be if you're trying to walk into a place ready made to win.
0: I'm not sure there's a better situation than that. No, that's the best situation for him. Um, With the that, only
1: exception being that division's loaded, but we'll get to
0: this. That. This is the uh, this is a portion of the program where we go full Tarantino and we find ourselves back, back when to we the beginning, which yep. is also the uh, end. Bills and Chiefs. Uh, I think we already made a couple of our bigger points here, but we did. Game of the decade? Game of the? I guess. I guess the only like we're, we are prisoners of the moment. Yes, mm-hmm. but I guess the only mo- game that came to mind when I was trying to situate like is that the best? Is that the best football game I've ever seen? The only game that comes to mind is a twenty-eight-three comeback, and yes, that has the elevated moment of the Super Bowl. Yeah, non-Super Bowl, probably the best football game I've ever laid my eyes on.
1: I mean, I, I think. I think it has to be. I think it's the best football game that I've. It, it's up there with Vince Young and USC and t- against USC and the Rose football. Bowl in that national football. championship game. Honestly, yeah. as awesome as the 28 3 comeback was, if you want to talk about like back and forth, like awesome football game, the Philly New England yeah. football has to be right up there as well. But whatever, this is easily a top three football game I've ever watched. They're probably interchangeable on whatever day. Um, and the last. It was four, so four minutes. The last four was, minutes is the best yeah. period of football, if we want to call it that, I think I've ever watched. That fourth quarter, like, probably the best quarter of football I
0: think I've ever watched. Patrick Mahomes threw for 177 yards after the two minute warning. Yeah. Just wrap your head around that. Patrick Mahomes Insane. threw for more yards after the two minute warning than Jimmy Garoppolo and. I believe Ryan Tannehill threw four in their entire games. I, I gotta see Ryan Tannehill's line. But like it was it was literally like, oh, we always say the the joke of like, oh too much clock for Rogers, too much clock for Mahomes, too much clock for Mahomes, too much clock. Thirteen seconds was too much clock for Patrick Mahomes. And that is what I think every franchise strives for in developing their talent, in putting their talent in a position to succeed, and trusting their talent to do what they do. Mm-hmm. If you see, if you've seen any of the inside the NFL stuff, play number one, Tyreek to Kelsey, or excuse me, uh, uh, Mahomes to Tyreek with Kelsey out in front of him. Kelsey pre-snap turns to Tyreek and says, "Hey, they're giving you that little shimmy shake. Take an extra second on it." He goes, "I know." He goes, "I know you don't want to, but take another extra second on it. Let me get out in front of you after you catch this ball. I'm going to make some space." Does exactly that. They get the timeout. They line back up. They coming out of the timeout. Kelsey says to Mahomes, I'm not running that. I'm I'm taking the seam. They're giving me the seam. If that seam's open, I'm taking it. Mm -hmm. They get up to the line. Mahomes identifies the coverage. He yells, if you you can hear him over the mic, he yells, do it, Kels. Do it. Do it. Kelsey bangs the seam, rips one up the seam, and in 13 seconds, less than 13 seconds, they're sitting on the whatever yard line. Is it 48-yard field goal? Looking at a 48-yard field goal. Like – you can't even wrap your mind. I know it's low-hanging fruit, but they got down the field and in field goal range quicker than Dak Prescott could run a quarterback draw. Like, it was simply astounding, the capability of both of those quarterbacks and what they were able to do. I mean, not even Stefan Diggs steals the moment. Davis steals the moment, scores four touchdowns, a playoff receiving record. Makes a guy fall on the nastiest post route I've ever seen. Josh Allen drives right back down the field. Mahomes answers right back down the field. Like, there were, it was a shame, cliche, but it was a shame that somebody had to lose that football game mm-hmm. because Josh Allen played a perfect football game and converted on his on, the, on his feet on a fourth down, converted through the air and scored a touchdown on a fourth down in the fourth quarter. They would not be denied. It was just last team with the ball won. And um, I'm not going to sit here and pine about the overtime rule because – Here's a situation. Let's say that was the situation in the San Francisco Green Bay game that Aaron Rodgers comes down the field, scores a touchdown. We go to overtime or whatever the situation might have been. We go to overtime. Rodgers wins the toss, goes down and scores game over. No one's crying that Jimmy G didn't touch the ball. Now, Josh Allen might be the best quarterback on the face of planet Earth, or at least the most complete quarterback. We'll have a conversation for the next decade, I'm sure, about Mahomes, Burrow, and Allen. But uh, those are the rules, man. Like, sorry to Big Lebowski you, but those are the rules, man. Just get a stop. You were the number one passing defense. You were the number one scoring defense. You were number one in a number of different metrics. Get one stop. Your quarterback is putting his heart on the line. Your quarterback is doing everything he can to put you in a position to win, to break this three decades long failure of a franchise. And you can't get one stop. That's not on a coin toss. That's not on the rules. That's on your defense.
1: Yeah, I'm starting to like I'm I'm so torn on this topic. I'm starting to lean towards the rule change of overtime, the your playoffs, the overtime rules switch because I, I know it's on the defense. I know it's, hey, go get one stop. I just think the NFL is such but a... But
0: are we up in arms about it if it's Jimmy? Are we up in arms about it if it's Stafford? Are we up in arms about it if it's Justin Fields? Are we up in arms about it if it's Kirk Cousins, Ryan Tannehill? No, but Cousin that's because... West, that's why I, I,
1: Well, that's why I have the... Uh, that's why I'm saying that I think the rule should be changed for the playoffs because, no, in the regular season, if Kirk Cousins or Ryan Tannehill or Ben Roethlisberger, sorry, old Ben Roethlisberger, uh, like doesn't get that, I don't think anybody's pining for like a change. But I think the the way those two teams, like not just those two teams, but how good quarterback play is now, I, I just I, I think that. In those situations, both quarterbacks probably deserve to touch the football and while you can't obviously have a rule that says, well, if it's Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes, I think by saying in playoff games overtime, you know, both teams get a chance with the ball kind of fixes that. It does give both both offenses a chance because today's game is just so incredibly offensive and perfect offenses will be perfect defenses just about and, every every time, and, it, and th- you hit, those
0: are and two you closest the nail, perfect offenses. You hit the nail right on the head there, because if you look at this by the numbers, the win rate of the team that wins the toss in the regular season in this format of overtime is 54%. It's anybody's game. It's anybody's game, no matter if you win the toss or not. In the regular season, 54% of the time, the team that wins the toss wins the game. Mm-hmm. It's literally another coin toss. In the playoffs, in yep. 12 instances, the team that wins the coin toss is 11-1. and one. It's just better talent. You, you, know, better
1: you know who the one loss you know was? Uh, probably us. It was the Saints on that very blatant pass interference call that was not called. So it should be 12-0. So it should be 12-0. Yep. Um, so that, that, that's so why that, I think there is – That does support it, your point. That, you know – and the, the NHL does separate overtime rules because it's better for playoff hockey. It's better for the sport playoff, like playoff football. I'm not saying obviously change every single rule, whatever, but I, I do think there are tweaks because certain people do deserve certain Fine. rules. And that's a, that's a way but to do it. Regular season, absolutely don't touch a thing. I don't need to see Tim Boyle get an extra chance with the with the football or Kirk Cousins or whoever, but I do think an overtime in the playoffs is now three two times in the last what's it, three, four years that's happened? I think the Chiefs even said that they would still support the rule change after being the losers in it, uh, whatever, three years ago against the Patriots, being the support, being the benefactors of it this time. I just, I, I think there's, it's a minor tweak, and I think it's time for somewhat of a change.
0: I just didn't like the fact that that so overshadowed what was. I agree. It should not have. Because, you know, honestly. 16, 60 plus minutes of football that I've seen. If the
1: Bills win that toss and Josh Allen goes down to field, the field, scores first. We're having that conversation a little bit, but it's not to this extent. It's because the team, that you know, the underdog that everybody was kind of rooting for, the the underdog quarterback going against big bad Kansas City that didn't get the chance, that's kind of why we're having the conversation, I think, magnified.
0: Um, I, I work with a couple of diehard Bills fans that are still obviously hurting. Neither I'm of them still hurting, the, and I'm not a Bills fan. Neither of them at any point alluded to the coin toss they were disappointed in their defense. They were mm-hmm. proud of their quarterback. They were disappointed in their defense. You got I think that's fair. You, you can control what you can control within the bounds of the rules as they currently stand. Get a fucking stop.
1: Also, yeah. I it has been kind of overplayed and I don't know how you feel about it, but one rushing four instead of three and giving this just giving the middle of the field with those thirteen seconds with the Chiefs, I think having still two timeouts, what are now, you doing? Now and i'll play
0: down the deep, the deep, the <laughs> deep kick
1: also for me was you have to yes make them take even if it's two seconds. But you, you have you to don't wanna,
0: yeah. You, but you don't want to. That's a that's like a very skilled thing because you don't want to kick it deep to, to take no time off the clock. But you don't want to kick it too short and allow them uh, an easy return because your coverage isn't downfield yet. You don't want to yeah. But um, like I'd rather I don't want to undersquib it and you don't want to hit one outside the hashes and leave them on the forty. Like that's not I'd, as I would Easy rather is. trust
1: my defense with 7 seconds left on the what's it 4 you know my their own 40 or their own 35 after a squib that didn't go quite that well than yeah. The situation you put them in and quite honestly I know there's a lot of things that can happen but if you haven't practiced squib kicks enough or you haven't practiced situational kickoffs enough whatever that's on your special teams coordinator that's on your coaching too you need to be confident in every single situation every phase of the game and like that's why Green Bay lost and they're not going they're going home like you need to be able to do those things and execute them in the time and not be like well I don't necessarily trust our squib kicking you need to be able to trust your squib kicking because that's what it's there for
0: Back to the uh, the play breakdown of the Kelsey long gainer to set up the field goal. Sure, broke that down on the big board with London Fletcher um, on Sunday. Name drop D three legend. Such a great um, name, Johns Hopkins. Uh, no, I it was Johns go, Hopkins. Go, go, go again. Go no, again. Uh, John, Carroll. John, Carroll. John, John Carroll. John Carroll. John Carroll. There you go. Sorry, I knew um, it was a John. So we were uh, we were chopping up a little D three little D three talk all day, but we Here broke we the play nice. down and. Um, we were looking at it before we were on air and he's like, I think this is cover four. I was like, no, it's cover two. I honestly told a 15 year NFL veteran what it was, but besides the point, they're in cover two, Matt Milano is in the middle of the field, hook to curl responsibility on the Kelsey side, but they were three by one. If you go look at the all 22, they were three by one high side of the field, Kelsey O'Bone bottom side, tight to the formation. Matt Milano, because Kelsey's tight to the formation and Tyreek Kill is your three receiver on the high side. Had his eyes, his shoulders, his body facing the high. He was beat before the snap. All Mahomes had to do was look right for a half a second, freeze Milano's feet, and it opened up the entire left side of the field because that flat defender had already widened, had his ass to the sideline. It was, if you see it from behind, the easiest throwing lane you've ever oh, seen yeah. because Matt because Matt Milano was so concerned about Tyreek Hill that he didn't get to his depth. And that half second was the football game. And it was awesome to watch Travis Kelsey run a perfect stem route outside, get it up field. It was, it was perfect execution time and again by both sides. And uh, the chiefs, I guess, I don't know if it's them having the ball last. I don't know if it's their big game experience. I don't know if it's their quarterback. I don't know if it's their tight end, but perfect mixture of what it takes to, have championship-level football year in and year out.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm, again, this is going to be cliche. I think there's a lot of cliche things being said about this game because they fulfilled a lot of them. But, like, I'm looking forward to seeing that matchup for probably the next, you know, yeah. nine out of the next 11 NFL play AFC
0: hugged, Mahomes hugged Allen after the game and said, we're going to do this a lot. They are. Great, that's, great, that's whether yeah, it's the division the AFC gonna championship game. They're going to see each other new, a whole lot. This is our it's, new This is Brady. Yeah. That's what this is. This is this era's Manning versus Brady. Uh, we do have to move it forward, Matt, here, talk about the matchups. Um, we will obviously react on the back end, but just a little bit of pre show here on the mm-hmm. conference title games. Uh, we're looking at San Francisco going to LA. Full circle moment here. They had to go to LA in week 18 to make the playoffs. They go in there, down 17. Jimmy G leads a couple drives. Respect my man's. Uh, and now they find, find themselves back in that building. Um, obviously, much has been made about the San Francisco fans traveling down to L.A. They took over the building once before they have for the last five seasons. Uh, for me, it boils down to the simple fact that Kyle Shanahan owns a big plot of land right in Sean McVay's brain. and that is McVay very has true. not been able to beat 0 and Shanahan. 0-6, right? 0-6 over the last six tries. Um, Jimmy has never lost to L.A. I think San Francisco's defense gives them a decided advantage no disrespect to um, LA's defense, but despite the big play flashiness of LA's offense, they're a run first team as well. And they struggled to effectively establish that run in the second half of the game. They put the ball on the ground run opens up the pass for them. If they're not running the ball effectively against this LA team, it's going to look exactly like it did against green Bay. Green Bay couldn't run the ball. That's why San Francisco won that game. If LA can't run the ball, I think San Francisco, San Francisco wins their seventh straight game against their conference call.
1: Yeah, I, I, my breakdown key factor, whatever is very similar. It's going to sound very on brand for me, but it's going to come down to the trenches. It's going to come down to is Andrew Whitworth healthy? How healthy is that Rams offensive line? Can they hold their own against what's arguably, you know, a, a top five defensive line in football on, on the flip side? How healthy is Trent Williams? I know he's probably going to play, but is he is he going to be you know at full strength to keep up with Von Miller and Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd? Can't believe I'm saying Leonard Floyd in that same sentence, but here I am. Um, like, how's that forty nine? Are they going to be able to establish run? How's that offensive line going to hold up? Those two factors played such a big role in each of these two teams' wins in the divisional round. I, if Matthew Stafford's under pressure all day, I don't think he's going to win the football game. Same goes for Jimmy G. If the 49ers offensive line isn't holding their own and they can't establish the run and Jimmy's got to throw the ball a bunch and he's under pressure, San Francisco's going to have a really tough time winning the game. So whichever defensive line, offensive line is healthiest and playing at their best probably wins this football game.
0: Yeah. I, full, take, I I, full take to say whoever yeah. plays better up front
1: wins. But like that, the I team feel
0: like that scores more points just, I just.
1: I feel like this, like these two teams, that matchup is even more so magnified because they both have the weapons on offense and defense. They both have really talented groups up front, but whichever of those groups outplays the other is going to be the team that wins this football game. Like that's not, that's usually the case. It's not always the case. Like Cincinnati got absolutely killed up front. They
0: still found a way to win. I don't think that happens in this one. Uh, Cincinnati, Kansas city leading us off at three Eastern on CBS company, man. Um, I think Kansas yes, City wins are. this game. I think yeah. that, you know, we saw Joe Burrow go for, like, 446, I think it was. In three, I think it was seven, three. Oh, I'm sorry. No, in the Week last, 17 yeah, match, yeah, yeah. last time. Last yeah, he time had, four, played, he had over four bills. Kansas City had the big halftime lead. Cincinnati comes back. They win it late. Uh, overtime, I believe, even. Um, no, I don't, I don't think, think it has, went to overtime. They held him off. No, regulation. So, um, I don't think that's the case this game. go-around. We saw Kansas City's fastball. We saw that when they completely lock in and commit they can play flawless football and they are unbeatable when they do so you're gonna have to put a stake through Pat Mahome's heart and you need zeros on the clock to beat him is Joe burrow a guy who possesses that is Joe burrow a guy who's capable of that can Jamar Chase be the guy on the receiving end of that yes to all of those questions I just don't know that they're ready I just yeah. don't know that they are at that level yet the level where they're gonna where they can go into arrowhead on Conference Championship Sunday, and beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, yeah. if I improved wrong, will it be another testament to Joe Burrow and it, just this meteoric rise over the last two years? Yeah, and it wouldn't really – I mean, it would surprise me, but I wouldn't be – it's I wouldn't not be out floored. of the realm of possibility. Yeah. Um, but I just don't see it happening. I just – I tend to
1: agree with you. Like I, I, think Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, like that combo, is, is probably ready. Like the, the skill position they have, I just don't think the rest of the team is, and I think they're going to have to play an absolutely perfect football game to win it. And even if they do, they could very well still lose to Kansas City, who could also because they're perfect is going to be better than Cincy's, and it just seems like they the Chiefs kind of. They, they started finding their mojo a bit down the stretch and then they really found their mojo against Pittsburgh after that TJ Watt touchdown. They're like, Oh, you know what? Let's wake up. And they've been woken up since then. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think Joe Burrow is going to play pretty well. I think him and Jamar chase are going to do some good things. I think it'll, I don't think we're, you know, tuning into a 31 to seven 31 to 14 blowout loss here, but just in the end, I don't think what they have up front is going to allow them to score with Kansas City and I just as good since he can play perfect defensively Kansas City is still probably going to put up 28-31 points and I just I don't think Cincinnati can keep up with them yet I think they're close I I think they're a year or two away and we talk about Josh Allen versus Patrick Mahomes you know for the next 10 years Joe Burrow is going to be right in that conversation in a year or two with those three or those two but this just seems like they're here a
0: little early Uh, One thing that we have to note as well here was this Chiefs defense against the Bills. Yes, you give up 36 points, uh, 24 of them, or no, 20, excuse me, 22 of them in the second half, um, 14 in the first half. They didn't look the best. Losing Honey Badger early was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, they then lost, uh, um, I'm forgetting his first name, Ward. It's like Oh, Traverius? Tavarius Ward. Tavarius Tavarius Ward. Ward. So you lose two guys in your back end. That's going to be big, whether or not those guys are available in slowing down Joe Burrow because full health Kansas City had trouble with Joe Burrow in Week Mm -hmm. 17. But what needs to be noted is that this Kansas City defense effectively rushed the passer. Only issue was the passer was Josh Allen. They Mm -hmm. had two sacks, four tackles for a loss, and two QB hits. Joe Burrow does not move the way that Josh Allen does. If this, if this front line for Cincinnati doesn't protect better than they did in their nine-sack performance against the Titans, it's going to be a long day yep. at Arrowhead. Um, that, is, that is where this game will be won and lost, as you said earlier. Uh, yeah. With that said, Matt, we do need to give the people some locks of the week for conference championship weekend. Only two more picks to be made in the season-long race for the dozen golf balls. Uh, I'm in a must-win sit win situation. I sit at 12 and 8. You are back against the wall, 11 and 9 after your loss this week. With that said, Dealer's Choice, lead us off.
1: Uh, oh, you're giving me for, Oh, I guess we already picked first. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm going, uh, I've talked about it the last couple weeks. I get excited when we get to go a little off the board, get a little proppy here, but we obviously both still try and keep it even money ish. Um, I went a little off the board here in Rams 49ers. I'm taking Robbie Gold over a field goal and a half at plus Ooh. one. It's one plus one ten, I think, right around even money. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got two put. I think two or three field goals in each of the last four, and I think this is going to be a tightly contested one. I think those fields are going to shrink in the red zone. 49ers are a team that sometimes have tr- have trouble finishing in the red zone because they don't have an elite quarterback, and I'm going to take. The probably one of the best kickers in NFL history uh, to get me two. Give me two field goals, Robbie.
0: the, The best bets you can make on any given week in any given sport is when the math does not match the odds, and this is that situation. Yeah. Like, Right, so I don't, I, makes I don't understand. Most time, it should not be even money, um, yeah. or it should not be plus money. I would have it, thought that would be like so that's minus one twenty at over one and a half. So it's exactly the place where sharps want to take you is to where the value does not match the likelihood, um, mm-hmm. and and that's that's one of those picks right there. I like that pick a lot. We'll see if it comes through for you. For me, I am going San Francisco team total over 21 and a half uh, I think this is an offense that has been undervalued in many ways. Uh, I think that they find themselves very comfortable down there in Southern California. I think that that LA defense has been good, not great. I think that they kind of love pinning their ears back and rushing the passer. But when you're running the ball 65 to 70% of the time, you're gonna to have to patch your feet. They're gonna run right at Aaron Donald. They're gonna run right at this front seven, and they're gonna do it effectively because they're gonna do it with five different guys out of a hundred different formations with twelve different motions, and it's a lot for the defense to process. And when you're having to think that much, your feet slow. And I think that this offense for San Francisco is gonna say, "Oh, you think that we're just a you think that we're just a you know run the ball, win by three in an uneventful game." I don't think that's the case here. I think they scored thirty. I think they win on the road.
1: Let's do it. Uh, I, I like that as well. Um, so, they, so you would take the, the you're taking the Niners money line at plus one sixty.
0: Um, yes, I think that I'm going to sprinkle that. I, I my, think My, I'd lock, be on my, that my lock of my lock of the week. Is no, I not not so for the your lock. I meant in terms of over twenty one in general. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll probably I'll probably sprinkle there. I'll probably take them with the points, and I'll take their team total over. It's going to be all San Francisco. Back Love it. We're,
1: we're a we're a Niners podcast now.
0: Uh, a couple things, Matt, here to get to on the way out the door. I will frame them as a buy or sell. Uh, sure. Buy or sell uh, David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame.
1: Uh, I'm okay. I, I buy him being in the Hall of Fame. I sell the names being left out behind him um, in Barry okay, Bonds because and Roger Clemens. Just,
0: just so we're clear here, David Ortiz tested positive for steroids in 2003. Yep. His name appeared on the Mitchell Report in 2009. Yep. Never again pop positive for the rest of his career. I just I like it, David it Ortiz. This me, isn't
1: against David Ortiz. It might no, no no no, no 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 no. This is
0: yeah. a this is a if Poppy's in, then Barry's in, and Schilling's yeah. in, and A Rod's in, and it's not a popularity contest. It, 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 Clemens is in. Like it's just so inconsistent in the way that these guys vote and it is a popular it's become a popularity contest with the baseball writers of America because they're willing to turn a blind eye to David Ortiz because he never denied it he never he never lied about it yeah. he never lied about it he's a nice guy all the Boston strong stuff was great this is our fucking city everything that he did for Boston and uh, our country when you know after the in the wake of the Boston marathon bombing mm-hmm. he's done great charity work but the greatest position player of all time just had his Hall of Fame voting window closed. The greatest home run hitter of all time just had his Hall of Fame window closed. One of the greatest pitchers of all time just had his Hall of Fame window closed. One of the most clutch pitchers of all time, and Kurt Schilling just had his Hall of Fame window closed because politically he does that, not align with the to Baseball me Writers is, of America.
1: is, is, is
0: atrocious as Barry Bonds there and, are, and there are Clemens. shit humans in yeah. every Hall of Fame. It's, is, it's, is a, atrocious. it's a measure. It's not a measure of the man. It's a measure of the athlete.
1: Yes, as atrocious as it is to leave out Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens while putting in David Ortiz, Kurt Schilling never appeared like he was never accused of doing steroids. He was never on a steroid report, anything he's left out of the Hall of Fame because people don't align with him politically. I don't care if you agree with him politically. I kind of think he's an asshole, too, but he has absolutely has a hall of fame career he's a hall of fame pitcher and the baseball writers of america think that they hold this holy grail that everything runs through them for some reason because it does even though it absolutely shouldn't and because they don't like the guy they're not going to vote him into the hall of fame it's absolutely ridiculous there's zero integrity to the voting it's all about who you like and who's who buttered you up for you know the entirety of their career all that kind of stuff and Yeah, it's Barry just,
0: Barry it's, it's by all accounts was a jerk to anyone who ever held a microphone under his mouth but that's you know that's not what we're voting for here. And Barry Bonds had I, a I Hall just, of
1: Fame career before he was ever accused of doing steroids, before he started doing steroids. He had a Hall of Fame career in Pittsburgh. Then he went to San Francisco and became the greatest hall, greatest baseball player of all time.
0: Barry, yeah, Barry's case to me is just – it just makes no sense that he's not in the Hall of Fame. He's across the street with Pete Rose now, and so is Roger Clemens, and so is Curt Schilling, guys that belong in that building that are. But you know what? To a certain extent – this is less of an indictment of Barry Bonds and more of the baseball hall of fame because it's, It's a representation of the history of baseball, and it's not doing its job now. It's it's leaving out an entire era of greatness. Now, was that a tainted era? Yes. Should that be represented at the hall by an asterisk or explanation on a plaque and mentioning those things? Yes. You don't turn a blind eye to that. But if you are telling the history of baseball, it cannot be told without Barry Bonds. It cannot be told without Roger Clemens. It cannot be told without Curt Schilling. It cannot be told without Sammy Sosa. It cannot be told without Pete Rose. Your hall of fame does not matter because those gentlemen that I just named are hall of famers, whether or not there's a plaque in central New York, it's just the long and short of it.
1: It's, it's 100. It's, it's incredibly accurate. And it's just, I feel like every year we have this conversation and it, 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 grows even more ire and disgust out of like out of the process. I don't know how you go about changing the process, but the
0: process has to change. Like and if you want to if you want to talk about the two like leave those guys aside. Their windows closed. It's now left to the veterans committee to decide the merits on which they could be retroactively put in whatever. For those who appeared on the ballot the first time, the two biggest names on the ballot this year, Poppy and Arod. Now, just put those guys side to side. Their numbers, their careers, everything they did, the championships, Alex Rodriguez, you could make the argument as a top five baseball player in the history of the game. I don't think you could make that argument about David Ortiz. Is he the greatest designated, hit, designated hitter of all time? 100%. Mm-hmm. Alex Rodriguez's resume is unquestionably better than David Ortiz. Let's establish the fact that they both used. Let's establish the fact that one guy's liked and not liked. Like, What, what are the differences here in the resume that I'm not getting? Because Alex Rodriguez got 34% of the vote yesterday. Poppy got 77%. i am just not seeing the math.
1: Yeah, like If you want to
0: keep everybody out, keep everybody out. But you now have Mike Piazza, Jeff Bagwell, David Ortiz, and I'm forgetting one name, but you have four known users in the hall and you're keeping these other guys out because they were jerks? It's, yeah, it's, okay.
1: it's, it's just – it's it's a – disgusting abuse of power it's it's yeah. it's it taints the it taints the baseball hall of fame exactly. in, in, my, in my it it's it's I'm, I'm speechless by like how much we've said all we can say like they just pick and choose guys that they like and if they you know they, they brush things like the poppy steroid thing like when that came out it got brushed under real quick because the guys like mm-hmm. them and now they're you know nobody wants to talk about it like the the baseball writers don't have to answer to anybody, and they just vote in the guys that they like, regardless of you know what they did throughout their career. If you were nice to me, we're going to overlook some of your numbers and be like, oh well, the Minnesota part doesn't count. He was great in Boston, so he's a Hall of Famer. It's it's, I don't know. It's it's awful.
0: Um, yeah, I think we're I think we're on the same page in that one. Other topic I wanted to get to here because we are a golf pod. Farmers we are. insurance. CBS, Saturday finish this week to open up, uh, company man Love on it. Sunday for, uh, for the AFC championship game. So, uh, we go Wednesday, yeah, starts today, right? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I believe it is. Um, so starts here. Yeah, because they don't want to keep
1: up with, keep up, uh, compete with conference
0: Since weekend, 2017. Which is since 2017, John Rahm is a cumulative 51 under at the Farmers Insurance. That does mm-hmm. not count his six under victory last year at the U.S. Open, also held at Torrey Pines. So it essentially has that Tiger versus the field feel. Uh, yeah. He is your favorite, John Rahm, at seven to one. The world number one, coming off a tough week at the American Express. Next closest is Justin Thomas at fourteen to one. A lot of really juicy odds down the board because there's a lot of talent, and not everyone can be fourteen to one. How we talk about? I believe DJ's twenty-five to one. Uh, Brooks is thirty-three to one something along those lines so a lot of value out there if you're into the golf gambling Matt give me a name for this weekend at Torrey
1: Whew. oh you know what I actually did make a couple of bets that I want to circle pull up. Daniel to...
0: Berger put me down for Daniel Berger this
1: week like a day what what's your what's your Daniel Berger what's your lean on that just a gut feeling he, or there's some stats what do you got he's
0: played he's played great at Tory before I think that this is more early season you know early season we often see some flashes from guys who it's like oh this is going to be This is going to be that guy's season. Mm -hmm. I think this is going to be, you know, we're talking about, obviously there's the guys. There's Rom, there's DJ, there's JT. um, There's, you know, there's the upper echelon, and then there's the tier below of guys that we expect to thrust themselves into the upper echelon. Xander, uh, Victor Hovland. uh, People are hot on Scotty Scheffler this season. Finao I'd put in that second tier to win again and elevate himself. I think Daniel Berger is a sleeper in that second tier that could win multiple times this year. I, I just love his game. I love his demeanor. Uh, you get him on a coastline and a DB straight vibe. Give me give me DB at the Farmers.
1: I do like that. I, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, actually, if, if you're a golf fan and you like to bet on golf, not just a plug, but also a shameless plug, go to BettsBirdsGolf.com, sign up for the newsletter. They're going to give you some fantastic, uh, fantastic, Gambling tips. I think the the one time that I actually followed through and then made a bet on uh, on one of those picks this year was was a Cam Smith p- uh, play at Kapalua, and he he won there uh, in that great duel with John Rahm. Head to BetSports.com, sign up for the newsletter. You, you will thank me. Um, let's see. I, I mean, it's I can't go with John Rahm because that's ob- he, oh, he's the favorite. That's boring. I'm going to go with Patrick Reed. Um, Patrick Reed. I don't know. I don't have the odds right in front of me. I can pull those up in a bit, but. Putting ranks on pure Poa anna greens for the Farmers Insurance <laughs> Open field players are ranked by their over Poa anna performance since 2018. Patrick Reed leads the, he leads the he leads uh, all golfers in strokes gained on Poa anna grass at 0.083. I'm going with Patrick Reed. He knows how to putt on so the you, grass. So you're going back to back.
0: He won last year's Farmers. Uh, putting travels and sticking his finger in the ground. So putting we'll travels. We can see if he can cheat. We can see if he can cheat his way to another uh, another win here at at the Farmers.
1: But in all seriousness, I know that was a shameless plug. But if, if you're into golf betting, there is no better place to find some, some great golf info. We have some awesome writers working for us that uh, have been, been very successful the last couple of years. So if Joe's going to be a company man, I'm going to be a company man myself.
0: Hell oh, yes. Plug it up. Plug it up. Uh, Matt, I think that's all I got for the people. What about you? you Ryan Poles.
1: You like a Ryan Poles? Actually, no, I did oh, want to Oh, yeah. You. We can go- <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't can know how much you want to it. get into it, but Ryan Poles, I, I – Obviously, we went the Chiefs well with the head coach last time, but Ryan Poles is while well, he's been in the one organization, has worked with a bunch of different GMs, some pretty big names. One of those being your guy Scott Pioli. I don't know if yeah. you talked to Scott Pioli. I don't know if he said anything to you about Ryan Poles throughout the search, but that was the one thing I kind of wanted to pick your brain out. Is
0: your thoughts? I will talk to Scott. I'm sure I'll talk to Scott on Sunday, um, and I'll, I'll pick his brain, obviously then, just to see what mm-hmm. kind of guy we got coming to town. The only person I talked to yesterday did a segment with Pete Prisco, who's been around the game and as well tapped in with the Chiefs as anybody else. Um, yeah. he loves it. He, he thought but he's also of the opinion that he goes, he said, hey, Joe, like eighty percent of the hires, coaches, GMs always get positioned as great hires. Yeah, it's what you do. It's what you do, it's what you accomplish, and as a first-time general manager, it's a clean slate. He is a guy who understands not just the game, he's a guy who understands the locker room, he's been, you know, he, he played for a little while, he's been in those positions, he's learned under some great executives, he's seen some great players, he's apparently a fantastic talent evaluator. Now, he's coming into a little bit of a handcuff situation here in terms of draft picks and cap space and what he can do, but... I'm thoroughly, I'm excited because first and foremost, if the Bears wanted to go general manager hire before head coach, it's out of the way now. That's done. Yeah. Now now let's go get our guy. Now let's go get Dable. It uh, doesn't sound like which is going to be out there. Let, let's go make the hire that, it, it, it sort of feels like the youth movement. Um, we got a young general manager. Maybe we get a young upstart coach. Like, I, I don't know. I, I just don't know how to feel about the Bears right now at all. I'm happy that we have a general manager. I'm happy he's coming from a winning franchise. Mm-hmm. That there's a picture of him kissing the Super Bowl, and he understands what it takes. Kissing the Lombardi Trophy, and he underta- understands what it takes to win a Super Bowl. Those are all important things to me. But the most important thing is who you go hire as your head coach, and I hope that Ryan Poles is in charge of that. And it seems like he not, is, and it's not Bill Polian and the old man telling him what he's going to do.
1: It seems like he is because it got, I mean, I don't know who leaked it yesterday or who wanted it known, but it became pretty known that he, in his interview before accepting the job said like, that's my hire. This is like, if I'm taking this, because he had uh, apparently had the the Vikings offer as well. So it it was his choice. And he pretty much said, Hey, if I'm taking this job, that's my hire. And then I think, uh, interviewed Jim Caldwell this morning and reportedly reportedly Ryan Poles was the one doing interview. It was not a six person interview of Jim Caldwell. So at least early on, it seems like it, it is going to be his decision. You talk about not having the draft capital this year, not that Kansas Kansas City has had their draft capital the last couple of years, but they're always picking at the end of the first round, so kind of used to having to get a little bit creative with mm-hmm. finding your talent there, and not to get Patrick Mahomes is, in, is obviously an elite talent and all that kind of stuff, but he's been around an organization that knew that successfully built around Patrick, Patrick Mahomes. And there's a (laughs) blueprint for that. Justin Fields will in all likelihood not be Patrick Mahomes. That's okay. But he's seen how to build around a young quarterback who needs some help, who needs some development. It's go get him weapons, go get him help on the outside. And then, you know, this year, when he got beat up in the Super Bowl, uh, with without those tackles, they went and got offensive line. Like he's seen the blueprint from from very established general managers on how to build around that young successful quarterback. So that those two things were very um, it, enlightening for if is a word, but positive signs for
0: me. Yeah, that's all positive experience. Um, I think too that. You know, we, we knocked the Bears organization on anything and everything, but in terms of wadding the general manager first before the head coach, that's very important, and I think that yes. that's the right way to go about it because if you, as an owner, are doing what Shad Khan's about to do on Wednesday and hiring your head coach before you go find your general manager. Completely well, they didn't fire their guy, gen- did they? I think they kept him. I thought they did. I, think, I thought they kept their guy. Regardless, if that's – Which the, is let's terrible. operate in a hypothetical of yeah. hiring a coach. You completely undermine the – most important decision and first decision that a general manager has to make. And then there's the, um, there's a lack of concert between the two, and it's all oh, that wasn't my hire. Uh, go, let me go get my guy. It just creates a lot of confusion. So, yeah, so we talked about there was there was, was one head big box.
1: There was one head coach that you could have hired this off season before a general manager, yeah. and it would have been okay, and that would have yeah. been Jim Harbaugh because Jim Harbaugh would have been on the level as your general manager. That that's they made the right decision. They said they were going to try and do it. I got a little bit worried when they said we're doing second interviews with head coaches before having a GM. Uh, but then there's George walking through O'Hare with uh, with Ryan Poles and. A couple hours later we got our guy. So bear down, baby. Who's you, who's your gut feeling as a head coach right now? I know we both not, a couple of Not weeks the ago. guy I want.
0: Not Brian Dable. I I, I, I agree Because 'cause we're seem Bears like, fans and we never yeah. and we never get what we want. I don't. It's now Jim I, Caldwell. Don't don't you dare bring Leslie If you if Leslie Frazier gets hired,
1: happily I mean, happily it seems like the after that I think Monday I'm was announcing this, my fandom. It seems it sounds like Monday they said Leslie Frazier was you know one of those names and St. Eberflus Caldwell and Dan Quinn. Like yeah. I don't love or hate either of them. I, like you could do worse than them, and you could probably do better. I, than I don't them, want
0: I think. Dan Quinn. Don't give me don't give me a failed head coach. Give me somebody new, or give me someone who succeeded. Don't give me a failed head coach. I don't. Uh, don't give, I, me I, don't, give, me no, don't give me Leslie Frazier. Don't give me Leslie Frazier. Don't give me it, Todd Bowles. Don't give me a failed head coach.
1: I don't know I don't, how failed I, I, of I, I a head the head coach Dan one, I mean. Quinn is at this point, but we don't have to get into it right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm interested to see if Ryan Pohl starts interviewing more from just those three that we kind of saw surfacing the last couple
0: days. That'll be interesting. That's going to do it it for the Moose and Runes podcast, episode uh, 238. There you go. 238. Yeah, I got there. I'm just getting my notes up. Uh, Matt, we appreciate you, as always, for taking the time here and shedding light on all that is the sporting landscape. For Matt, I am Joe. As always, get us on Twitter, at Moose and Runes. Send us your mailbag questions, because there's only three more football games
1: yeah we're gonna need it soon guys we do this it's, every year it's really we sad sad but there's only three more football games so send us the luckily golf questions. season we roll right in golf season golf. is here we'll,
0: be- we'll get a little back stock of questions the loose and ruins podcast we'll do we do we do have high. a
1: couple in the tank which is which is good by the way so credit to the people but we're gonna need one. stack them up stack them up he's matt i'm joe
0: matt say goodbye to the people later